The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus, me Chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. You will find these words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And this afternoon, I just want to speak with you for a few moments from the thoughts. The Beatitudes, part two. The Beatitudes, part two. In the preceding Sundays, we have took a look at this particular passage of Scripture, and we have found that Jesus has started his preaching ministry. His preaching ministry was preceded by a healing ministry. A healing ministry where he was healing people of all manners of disease. And we found that 
We need to deal with folks' physical needs before we can deal with their spiritual needs. If a man or a woman or a child is hungry, they're not going to be readily uh, willing to hear a word until their physical hunger has been met. So the text opens up and allows us to see that after he dealt with those issues, he went on a hill. And the hill became the mount. And he began to open his mouth, and the words became the sermon on the mount. We realize that the people that he was talking to were his 12 disciples and the multitudes. The multitudes consist of all kinds of religious beliefs, whether they were zealots, whether they were Essenes, whether they were Sadducees or Pharisees, whether they believed that in order to be right with God, we had to be in tradition, or whether we, they believed that in order to be right with God, they had to be about right now. They had to be contemporary. They had to be modern. Or whether they believed that in order to be right about God, we had to physically move away from everybody else. And then finally, in order to be right about God, you had to deal with political activism. You had to overthrow those evil governments. Into that context comes Jesus, who comes with a contemporary message but so different from what they believed. He came with a new word that was different than the word they've even been hearing from the Old Testament. As we looked at in, in times past that the Old Testament closed in Malachi 4 and 6 with the words that I will turn the fathers back to the children and the children to the fathers lest I smite thee with a curse. The Old Testament ended with the opportunity to be cursed. But the New Testament opens up with the Messiah with the opportunity to be blessed. The word blessed, the word blessed, the word blessed means happy. But it's not the kind of happiness that the world would tell you you need. Happiness is in stuff. Is in the abundance of things. Happiness is in a good marriage and two and a half children and a dog. And happiness is in when you've got a nice house with a white picket fence. Happiness is in the abundance of things you possess. This blessedness, this happiness that Jesus is talking about is not that kind of happiness. That happiness that Jesus is talking about here is not based on circumstance. That kind of happiness has to come from the inside. The writers of mythology talked about the Greek gods having this kind of happiness, that they were happy regardless of what their subjects did. No, regardless of what the ones under them, which are the subjects of the world, whether they were obedient or disobedient, yet they were still happy. They had a transcendent happiness that was not based on circumstance. And so Jesus steps into this scene with all of these religious contexts and says, you all off base. Because he says, to be happy is to come from the inside. 
And now he's beginning to show them how to receive that happiness. Verse 3 that we looked at last week, he said, Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could translate this saying, Happy are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Until you come to God with the reality and the mindset that you are spiritually bankrupt, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is what the text is saying. It's saying, happy are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But the world will try to convince even the church that it's all about a decision to move forward, a decision to come forward. A day when I came and I gave the preacher my hand and God my heart. But really after that I went back to doing things like I always did. I was slothful about the things of God. I wasn't serious about learning about the Lord, nor was I serious about serving Him. But I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm on my way to heaven anyhow. I contend today after studying this text is that we must be real careful about that easy believism, what we can all call cheap grace. Grace is not cheap. Grace requires us to come to God in one way and one way only. It's to come with a contrite spirit, come knowing that we are bankrupt. We don't have anything within ourselves in order to be worthy of entering into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, happy are those who realize that they don't have nothing within themselves in order to be saved. They don't have intellectual assent. They don't have reckoning. They don't have smarts. They don't have intellect. They don't have anything that is worthy of the kingdom of God except coming with your face down to the ground saying, Lord, save me. But this text goes on to say that if you enter the kingdom of God, this is the way that we are happy. But the world is always saying, no, happiness is all about doing things your own way. Even Frank Sinatra said in one of his songs, I did it my way. But God is saying, not your way. Because your way is not my way. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth are my thoughts than your thoughts. Are my ways than your ways. So we continue in this life being conformed to the culture in which we live even as Christians Continuing to try to grapple and to grab stuff. To get the more fancier car, the bigger house. 
to have what the world says is what we need to be happy. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything changes. Happiness does not consist in the abundance of things that men possess. But it comes out of a bankrupt spirit that says, nothing of me and all of you, God. Lord, have your way in me. And so then we get the right attitude so we can start to look at ourselves and to see ourselves as the way we should when we're humble. Humility is the idea that you esteem others greater than yourself. But when we say that we can do it our way, when we say that I've got the master plan, we're saying we're greater than God. We're saying that, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but that ain't making sense. So I'm going to do it my way. And God's saying, for you, the kingdom is not yours. So as I read this text, I had to do an introspective on my own life. Am I trying to do it my way or his way? Am I really happy or am I conforming to what the world says happiness is all about? Happiness is about my time. It's about the things I want to do. Happiness is all about me getting my good pleasures. We live in a culture that's full of entertainments. Entertainment on every hand. Oh, so much that we've even began to look for entertainment in the church. But we don't come to the church to be entertained. We come to worship the Lord. We come to get our minds right so that we can live right. And we do it continually. As the Bible lesson said this morning in Sunday school, that it's a day-to-day thing. That it needs to be talked about each day of your life. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but it's a lifestyle of continuing to hear the word of God. That it has a transformative action in our lives. Because we want to get a cup of Jesus on Sunday and maybe a thimble of Jesus on Wednesday and expect to have the radically changed life that Jesus talks about. But nobody who wants to grow can only eat twice a week. Nobody who wants to build muscle can only work out twice a week. But I say it's getting even worse than when we think we can only do it once and everything is okay. But that's saying, I'll do it my way. See, really, we wouldn't say that outright, but that's really what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, I think I can do with just one dose of you. I I can do it just one time in your word. I can can do it that way and everything's going to be all right because I'm happy. I'm spending time doing what I want to do watching the shows I want to watch and going to places I want to go. But the Lord is saying, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So we see in order to enter the kingdom of God and to be happy, truly happy, we must come with a broken spirit, looking for God to fill it in every way that we need. 
But then we move on to verse 4. Verse 4 said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Over my almost 30 years of being a Christian, I cannot remember a time that I've heard the Beatitudes preached. And as I begin to study and to look at these Beatitudes, it becomes ever so present and ever so clear why they're so hard to preach. As I begin to read them for myself, I was torn up in my own spirit. Because I had my own way of thinking about the scriptures. I had my own way of seeing Jesus. But when we started this lesson, I was saying to us that we would find out that Jesus is not like we think he is. We would find out that his mind is not like the way we think he thinks. And so the Beatitudes is the first sermon that he preaches. And now we begin to see why that Jesus was so different than everybody else. Jesus says, happy are the sad. That's basically what verse 4 is saying. Happy are the sad, for they shall be comforted. When you first read those words, you say, what is Jesus talking about? Happy are the sad. How in the world can you be happy and be sad at the same time? And then he says, if you're sad, you'll be comforted. Well, let's take a moment to look at this word, which we're calling sad, the word mourn. The word mourn is all over scriptures. And let's look at some of the ways that mourning has been done. There is an illicit, perverse way of mourning. It's the kind of mourning that Amnon had toward Tamar, his sister. If you don't know the story, Amnon wanted to have sexual relations with his own sister, Tamar. And he desired to have this incestuous relationship so bad that when he could not have her, he got sick in mourning. He mourned because he wanted to do something that was illicit and perverse, incestuous, so much so that he was bedridden. But one day he got his way, and he had sexual relations with his own sister, only to find out that it did not serve him the way he thought, and he became all the more evil even till his death. That's one kind of mourning. There's another kind of mourning when Abraham mourned over the death of his wife, Sarah. He mourned because he had lost the love of his life. That he would no longer be able to experience the physical intimacy and the time in talking with his wife until they meet again in glory. That's another kind of mourning. 
mourning the separation of a loved one. But then there is this kind of mourning. The kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about is the kind of mourning over your own sin. It's the kind of mourning when you cry out and wail to the Lord about our own sinfulness. And this is where it began to tear me up because I had to ask the question, how often do I mourn over my sin? Yes, I acknowledge my sin. Yes, I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sin. But do I really mourn over my sinful state? But when you are a kingdom child, when you are on the kingdom agenda, you mourn over your sin. You mourn when you disobey God. You mourn when you do things that are not in the will of God. You mourn over your sin. But the question becomes, are we mourning over our sins? For our sins are many. But this kind of mourning even extends farther than that. The goodly, godly kindness that God has showed us manifests itself not only in our own mourning of our sins, but mourning of sins of others. Do we mourn over the sins of other believers who are doing any and every kind of thing? Do we mourn over those who are shacking and having children out of wedlock who are naming the name Jesus? Or are we celebrating it? Because it's so much like our culture. See, the Bible keeps telling us to be ye transformed and not conformed to this world. We have to renew our minds. We have to realize that God has a standard that he wants for his children. But are we mourning? Are we mourning when one person kills another person? Are we mourning when a person kills themselves? Are we mourning for the sins that are on TV? Or are we laughing at that stuff? Are we watching these shows with all of their vulgarity and sitting in the back laughing and eating popcorn or are we mourning over the decadent state of our own country? Over the decadent state of our own media outlets, our own entertainment. Are we mourning? But Jesus says, blessed or happy is the same. For they shall be comforted. The word comforted is the word in the Greek, parakaleo, which is the word that refers also to the Holy Spirit. The Bible is letting us know that, first of all, your intellectual ascent, that you're bankrupt, gives you the entrance into the kingdom of God, and because you're a kingdom person, now you should be mourning for your sins and the sins of the world. And because of that, the Holy Spirit comforts you. Happy are the same. For they mourn not for just themselves, but they mourn for the world. 
So the Beatitudes is now beginning to show us that God has a standard that's high. And some look at these Beatitudes and begin to say, these Beatitudes are for the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom, the time, thousand year reign of Christ. Because they're difficult. But I contend with you today that it's not for then, it's for now. Because when the millennium comes, God is coming with an iron rod. And we are going to reign with him. And there won't be any need to mourn. But the mourning is now. While the world is going to hell in a handbasket. While the saints of God is representing other gods except the one and true and living God. Now it's time to mourn. It's time to mourn when folks are leaving out of this world, not knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now is the time to mourn. But the text lets us know that if we are mourning, God will comfort us. God will strengthen us in a way that we don't understand. How can we be sad but yet be comforted? That can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we see today that we've got some prerequisites, saints. In order to step into this blessedness that God has for us, we got to get humble first. We got to stop saying, well, this is how I want to do church. And find out what God is requiring for us to be as a church. What is he requiring for us? Is he requiring us to... Just come on our own terms and when we get ready? Or is he requiring for us to be prompt and be about his business on a daily basis? And is he requiring for us to stop laughing at all of the stuff in this world that's vulgar and of not of God and to start mourning? Because somewhere in the word of God, I, I read where it said, woe to those who laugh. Woe to those who laugh. And he's saying, well, wait a minute, laughter is good for the soul. Yes, it is, but not when you're laughing at evil. So we got to get about the Father's business and get serious about what the Lord is saying to us. This is his first sermon, y'all. These are the first words from Jesus' mouth, and this is what he's saying. So it ought to be prudent for us to get about this in a hurry. Because some of us may be surprised at how the Lord views how we have been living when we meet him in the air. We may be surprised because we thought the way we were doing church was all right by him. I mean, after all, we give our tithes and, you know, we, you know, show up to church every now and then. But, I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, do I got to be mourning over the world? I mean, it's just so much going on out there. Well, when we look at Jesus' life, everything that's recorded in Scripture, we don't see anywhere where Jesus laughed. He may have laughed. But it's not, a, it's not recorded in these gospels. But it says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief.
Because what the holy God was in the outside of a whole unholy world. And he was a man of sorrows because holiness was observing so much unholiness. So if we're going to be holy like God is holy, we got to be humble and we got to mourn. We got to be concerned about the state of this world and not just sit back and laugh at their vulgar jokes. Because it's not funny at all. Some folks are going to be laughing their way straight to hell. Because the Bible says, woe to them who laugh. Woe to them who take it lightly. Sin. Just as it was in the days of Noah, they were married and were given in marriage. And Noah for 120 years was building the ark. They called him a fool and they laughed at him over and over again and said, what are you doing that for? But one day came the rain. It had never rained before. But the rains came. And Jesus has never come back again, but he is. Just as the rains came. So as we begin to dig into these Beatitudes, it ought to put us into a somber, serious mode. I found myself sitting quietly, staring into the air as I began to ponder what this text is really saying. Because I saw how undone I am. And I'm sure you can see how undone you are. But the Holy Ghost was sent to make us into that which God wants us to be. And we've got to be, first of all, bankrupt and realizing that we need His Spirit in order to do His will. And then we got to get about it, finding out what it is in His Word. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, Lord, we bless your name, Master, for your word today. Lord, this message is a tough message to swallow, God. But Lord, one thing for sure is we know that it's good for us. Lord, we're asking in the name of Jesus, Master, to change our stony hearts to hearts of flesh. To reset our minds and to Get us on one accord about what you feel about our culture and our ways. How you see sin of our own and our neighbors. Because we learned this morning in your word, Master, that who is our neighbor? And we are to love our neighbor as we to love ourselves. Now we love ourselves, some terrible. So Lord, help us to love others. Help us to mourn and to wail and to pray and to call on you for the sins of ourselves and our brothers and sisters in the Lord and the world. Lord, we ask that you keep us, Master, and teach us, Lord, to be kingdom-minded citizens in an unregendered and perverse world. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And at this time, if there's somebody here who hears these words and they know that they have not come to Jesus with a bankrupt spirit. Have not come and said, Lord, I am nothing. Lord, make me into something. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, and do in me what I cannot do for myself. Save my soul. 
you can come right now. You don't want to play with this. You don't want to get embarrassed by this. You don't want to say, well, people are watching me. It is much better for people to watch you go from hell to heaven than people to miss you and you're going from earth to hell. Today is the day of salvation. You can come today. Give your heart to the Lord and acknowledge that you need him in your life, that you don't want to live your own way. You don't want to keep continuing to do things how you feel you want to do it, in your own comfort, in your own desire. You want to relate to people the way you want to relate to, but that you want to relate to them the way God wants you to relate to them. You can come today, you can come right now and get your business fixed with the Lord. Come to
but there's still plenty of room. Amen. 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 Amen, saints of God. It is my hope and my prayer that we continue to ponder on these first words from the Beatitudes because we've got more to go. But I just believe that if we internalize these words and we live by them, we'll be much better Christians than when this series began. And not only that, we'll be better beacons of light and ambassadors for Christ so that the world may know that there is a reality in serving a true and living God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if all hearts and minds are clear, let us get ready for our benediction and our tithes and offerings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us stand. another day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to hear your word. Master, we, we want to chew on your word, oh God. Lord, we want to be the Christians you want us to be, oh God. Lord, we want to be loving to one another. Lord, we want to be loving to the world, Master. Lord, as our days are coming to a close, Lord, at any time now, the end shall be. Master, we're asking in the name of Jesus, Lord, to bless our souls. To first, in the household of faith, learn how to love one another. Love, learn how to pray together. Learn how to stay together. Learn how to look at one another and figure out what it is that I can do to bless my sister or bless my brother. Regardless of whether or not one has been hurt or one has not been hurt. Lord, because we want to move forward in you, Master. Lord, we want to be the kingdom-building generation, oh God. Lord, we want to be the people of God that the world knows that you have loved us. So, Master, in the name of Jesus, have your way. Lord, bless our offering, oh God. Lord, let it be used for kingdom-building, Master. Let us be about your work, Master. Because while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man can work. Lord, we love you and we lift you up for you are worthy to be praised. 
These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church saying, Amen. Amen. Please be seated and obey the ushers and please come around and shake my hand.